Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Lots of way to start the morning, huh? Awesome. Well, we are, as you can see, starting a brand new series uh, today called It's Time to Pray. So I thought I'd uh, start off with a few um, jokes that maybe you'll find funny, and if um, you don't, I'll just amuse myself, if that's okay. Uh, how does a pirate start his prayers? Our Father. What's the difference between prayer in a church and prayer in a casino? In a casino, you really mean it. A Sunday school teacher asked her little children as they were on the way to church service, and why is it necessary to be quiet in church? One bright little girl replied, because people are sleeping. (laughs) Okay. Uh, A man, this is the last one, I promise, walking along a California beach was in deep prayer when all of a sudden he said aloud, Lord, grant me one wish. And the sky clouded and a booming voice said, because you have tried to be faithful, I will grant you one wish. And the man said, build me a bridge to Hawaii so I can drive over anytime I want. And the Lord answered, well, your request is very materialistic. Think of the logistics of that kind of undertaking, the supports required to reach the bottom of the Pacific, the concrete and the steel it would take. I can do it, but it's hard for me to justify your desire for worldly things. Take a little more time and think about another wish that will honor and glorify me. And after thinking long and hard, he finally said, Lord, I wish that I could understand women. I want to know what they feel inside, what they're thinking, why they cry, what they mean when they say nothing, and how I can make a woman truly happy. And after a few minutes, the Lord said, how many lanes do you want on that bridge? (laughs) We're getting a series called It's Time to Pray. And I'm excited about it because I think it's going to be helpful for you. I'm I'm thinking of all of you. We are thinking of all of you as we teach this series, but especially today. Maybe um, you've been in church your whole life and you've been praying for as long as you remember. Well, I think that this series, and even maybe today, by God's grace, you might tune in a little bit more to prayer and understand a little bit more what you're doing. But I also think about my friends and maybe uh, people who are here today who maybe this is even your first time in church. And uh, you have never prayed in your life or have no desire or just kind of in that early stage of like, I'm not even sure what I'm doing here. Well, I think this will help you today as well. At least, again, that's my prayer and that's my hope. When we think about teaching here, I want you to know something. It's not about just knowing more stuff. It's not about figuring out all the, you know, ins and outs of it. But we want to be super practical and super tangible 
in the way uh, we teach, and we hope to make the Bible understandable for you and for everyone. And so I think maybe more than ever in this series, I hope that you'll feel that as we go through it. Not just about knowing more, but about being able to be and do. I want us to all uh, fully understand what prayer is and how we go about it in our personal lives. And so as I set up the series today, I'm going to make some assumptions right off the bat because I want us all to start in the same place. These assumptions are based on my personal experience, conversations I've had, and issues that I've struggled with in my own personal life. And I'm going to make assumptions that many of us, if not all of us, or at least a few of us, have struggled with all of these things that I'm about to talk about for a few minutes. And here's the big overarching assumption that I'm making, and that is this. Most people, if they're honest with themselves, would say, I don't really have much of a prayer life. I don't really take a whole lot of time for significant prayer in my life. Again, I'm making this assumption. I might be wrong, but I'm guessing, based on what I know and what I know about myself, that that is probably an accurate assumption. But I do think uh, people at different points in their life try prayer. And one of the things that I see all the time, again, this is an assumption I'm making, that most of us are driven to prayer, especially when we feel desperate. When the stuff hits the fan and you don't know of anything else you can do, then maybe you might finally then turn to some kind of prayer. And honestly, I don't think praying out of desperation is a bad thing. I actually think that that's a really good thing. The problem is on the other side of that, right? When we're only praying when things get desperate. Here's another thing. I think many people don't pray because they just simply get confused. I don't know if there even is a God. I'm not even sure how to pray this thing. And so I just, all of the things coming at me and what to believe, what to not believe. And that's a problem for many people. Another thing. I think a lot of people, the reason why they don't pray is that they're embarrassed. Now, maybe people pray to themselves, but they don't pray out loud. That's for sure. Uh, because they're embarrassed to do so. And I think there's probably lots of reasons to this. And, and I've been in life groups my, you know, for 20 years almost at this church, and I've been through a lot of life groups. I've led different life groups. I've just been a part of different life groups. And what's really interesting to me there is, obviously that's a, that's a smaller venue, that's a safe space, but most of the time when we open up for prayer, at least in my groups, most people don't feel comfortable praying. Part of this might be embarrassment. Maybe you have this idea of what prayer looks like and how to do it right, and you see other people, maybe in the group that pray really well in your mind, again, whatever that means, and you just don't want to ever pray out loud because you can't pray that well. Or maybe, as in the case, I think maybe with a lot of guys, I'll put, I'm putting myself in here because this is sometimes how I feel. Sometimes prayer can feel really vulnerable, and so we don't want to put ourselves out there because we just might 
lose it or we're afraid to kind of admit maybe some faults or mistakes or whatever. And so maybe that's, we're embarrassed about that and we don't do that. Maybe there's that cultural stigma that you wrestle with. Maybe you want to give thanks to God for the food in your office, but you don't want people to see you do that. It's a kind of embarrassing, so I don't pray publicly. Whatever the reason is, though, it's a pretty common, and I think that's why you don't pray very often. And the last thing I would say, I think sometimes we don't pray. You don't pray because you're frustrated. Some of this might have to do with frustration about yourself, but maybe more significantly, you're frustrated with God. Because, see, you've tried to pray in the past. You've really made your best effort, and you pray for someone or something, and you pray, and you pray, and you pray, and you pray, and nothing happens. And you get frustrated. I hear this all the time from people. Does God really care? Why does God answer your prayers and not mine? You know what? I'm giving up on this whole prayer thing. It doesn't seem to work. I'm done. So I think it's safe to say we all struggle with prayer. We all struggle with prayer. You, Tom? Yes. And through the course of this series, here's my number one goal. I hope that sometime during the next five weeks that you get to the point where you say, okay, self, it's time to pray. That you understand prayer well enough and what it is that you say, I'm done. It's time to pray and to make this a regular part of my life. So I'm going to try something. We're all going to stand up. Come on. We're going to stand up. And together, as a group, we are going to pray together. And we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. I am not putting the words on the screen. We are just going to go from what we know of the Lord's Prayer. Can you guys do this with me? Can church, you do this with me? Okay, let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You can have a seat. So I knew that was going to happen, by the way. And if I had a lot of time, I would teach a little bit more about that. But let me just say this. Maybe if you grew up reading like the King James Version, that part is in there. That last part is not in the original prayer. That was added in later. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That's a doxology that was added very appropriately, maybe, but it is not in the original Lord's Prayer, which is why some traditions do not say that line. I was curious how, we would, how it would go here. Now, those of you from more traditional uh, upbringing kind of got a little cool, like, tinglies, because this is something you would do often, maybe every week in some cases. You recite the Lord's Prayer. 
Those of you who are maybe in a church more like this one, less traditional, less formal, maybe you've never been in church, that was maybe a little bit of a stretch for you because we don't typically do that. But it doesn't matter. Either way, today, the whole point is I want to look at the Lord's Prayer. As we kick off this series, the rest of our time I want to spend in the Lord's Prayer. I actually can't think of any better way to start. Because when Jesus prays this prayer, or when he teaches about this prayer, he literally says, this is how you should pray. Now, I don't think he meant, these are the words that you pray, although I don't think that that's bad. I think he was getting to something deeper. And again, my hope is, in the time we have today, we could look at some of the deeper reasons, the deeper ideology, the deeper philosophy of what Jesus was saying when he told the people in that day and time when he was talking to them, fast forward through the generations to us now, he's saying, this is how you should pray. These are a few of the things that I think Jesus was talking about. So here's how I want to start. We live in a world that has a narrative. We live in a narrative. We are fed a narrative. It's what we know. It's not bad that we know this or that we live in it. It just is. I am sure over time, different shades of this narrative maybe uh, uh, come across more strongly than others. And again, I could probably go on forever, and you might not fully agree with everything I say because you might have stuff to add or subtract from the list, but let me try to explain to you what I mean, that we live in a narrative in this world, or maybe I should say in this kingdom, okay? Here's some of the narrative that we live in. Uh, there's a lot of emphasis on me. I don't mean me. I mean you and me, ourselves. I am my own person. I need to be true to myself. And what that really means, I am my own, basically, I'm my own moral authority. No one can tell me what is right and wrong. In fact, that is very personal to me. What might be wrong for me might not be wrong for you, but what is, you know, what is right for me might not be right for you either. So I'm the judge of that. I mean, basically, I'm a good person. Sin, and, you know, it, that's the word for the, all the bad things. It's not really that bad. We're just a little misguided, okay? But I can realign myself. I can realign, if I get back to, you know, my purpose uh, and get in touch with that and, and get in touch with myself, I can realign and get back on track. I mean, if it's meant to be, I am capable of anything, um, I can do anything I put my mind to. And, and furthermore, the only person you could really trust is yourself. And when it comes to religion, and again, outside moral authority again, uh, you can't assume that there is one and only one way and one God. But if you do come to that conclusion, God forbid that you tell someone else that that is the way as well because everyone is entitled to their own thing. 
Does that sound a little bit familiar? Are you tracking with me so far? I think this is important. And again, you might add or subtract to that, but here's the point I'm trying to make. We are fed. We, we grew up with this narrative about the world. And I think when Jesus said, this is how you pray, he wants to speak into that narrative. And we're going to look at this prayer line by line of how he would speak into this narrative. And here's the thing. I don't think the narrative was so different to the people he was talking to. And we think that's crazy because this world is getting so bad and it's getting worse and worse. It, no. There's always been something called sin. And honestly, if you go back all the way to Adam and Eve, the first people on this earth, and they decided, because God gave them free will, to exercise their own will and their own authority, let's be honest, there was only one direction that that was going to go. Because they're not God. They are limited in their knowledge. They are limited in their power. They're limited in the scope of the big picture. And so there was only one way to go. And let me give you a hint. It was not towards the heart of God. It was away from the heart of God. And you and I are no different. In our journey, we kind of move away from the heart of God because we think we know or that narrative just kind of plays in our head, and that's what sounds right. So Jesus knew the story that we would be told, and Jesus understood the narrative, and here's the great thing about Jesus. He came. His sole purpose was to provide a new narrative. His sole purpose was to come and provide a new way of thinking. Uh, let's call it his kingdom. And so the Lord's Prayer, I believe, is teaching us to pray from the new narrative. If you are a Christian, if you are a child of God, you are praying, he says, from a new narrative, and you are praying against the power of the narrative that is going to constantly draw us back away from his heart. This is really, really important. It's not about the lines of the prayer. It is about the heart of what he's trying to get to. This is what I mean about making the Bible practical. We have this idea. You know, there's different names for, I could go so deep into this, but I'm not going to because we just have a little bit of time and I'm scaring some of you already. There's a lot of names for, you know, the world in the Bible or the flesh or, you know, this kingdom on earth. But, but God is saying he's calling for something different. And that's what he means. But I'm going to be the way and the truth and the life. Okay, I got to keep moving here. So for the rest of our time, I want to look at this prayer line by line. So we're going to start. This is found in Matthew chapter 6 if you're following along in your Bibles. Otherwise, it will be on the screen and I want you to know this, actually, before I dive into this as well. Um, it probably would have been, in some ways, helpful if we wanted to just study the Lord's Prayer. We could do this for the entire series, and a lot of people do that, and a lot of churches do that. That is not the point of today. The point of today is to get some of the heart of what's going on, and we're going to fly through this, okay? So I just want you to know up front, you might be a little bit disappointed. 
But over the next several weeks, we're going to speak into more of the heart of what this prayer is. Okay. So this then, Jesus says, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. And I'm going to stop right there. And if you take notes, or if you highlight, or you underline, the thing that you need to highlight and underline is, I want you to write, our Father. Let's just stop right here. What is Jesus saying here? Well, this word is the word Abba. And in that language, it meant the term dad or daddy. It's a term of endearment. Let me just say this. Be careful when you say daddy God. It's a little bit. But that is the point. That Jesus, that God, the Father, is our Abba. He's our dad. And right here, even, this is some of the hang-up for some people with God and with Christianity and with religion. Because if you had a negative experience or you have a negative experience with your earthly dad, there's all of a sudden a block. And I've seen this. I've been told this. But I like what Pastor Louis Giglio says. He goes, this is not, when we talk about this, this is not a reflection of your earthly dad. It's the perfection of your earthly dad. And this is really important, that Jesus is our dad, that we can have, number one, a personal relationship. Prayer is a relationship with a person. It's really important. Prayer is a relationship with a person. And if we want to model after the life of Jesus, you look at all the prayers in the Bible that Jesus prayed, only one of them, all but one of them, he called him Abba, Dad. I find that strikingly interesting. If I were to ask this question, we actually asked it in one of our uh, classes last week that we did when we talked about spiritual gifts, but I'm not going to do it today because of time. But I'm going to ask this question just generally. How do you see God? What is the image that comes to your mind when you think of God? Now, let me just tell you, I'm just going to get right to the answer. Most of us have this very um, fuzzy, ethereal, big, throne, maybe judgy picture of God. Most people would say that. They can't quite get an exact picture, but that's the idea. But Jesus starts right out and says, no. We have a God who wants to be your dad. He wants to walk with you and talk with you. And it's a personal relationship. So prayer is a relationship with a person. But let's not push that too far yet because it says, Our Father in heaven, second line of the prayer, hallowed be your name. Now, we don't use that word hallowed very often. Maybe around this time, you need to start talking about all hallows, evil, whatever. But does anybody know what that word hallowed means? 
Holy, that, that's right. And what does the word holy mean? Again, we're going to kind of rip it apart and just kind of big picture here. Yeah, yeah, I like, yes, revere. Set apart, revere. So we have God, our Father, our personal relationship with a person, but let's not lose sight of the fact that he is the sovereign king of the universe as well. The almighty God. The one who is over all things. The one who is to be the most revered and set apart. Man, we should come to him in awe. He's not only our dad, but he's also our king. We sang about that a whole bunch this morning. Do you see here? It's a really interesting dichotomy. Right off the bat, Jesus is saying, not only is he the most personal relationship that you can ever have with anybody, but make no mistake, he is in charge. He has authority. He is the king of the world. Amen? Do not make that mistake. When we come to God in prayer, both of those things are true. Prayer is a relationship with a person. And here's what's interesting, because I think this prayer structure right off the bat speaks to the cultural narrative that we live in. We question everything about authority. We largely reject that, especially in America, by the way. And obedience and kingship. But the way of Jesus, sent to earth by his father, the God of the universe, calls us into relationship him with as a dad and as a king at the same time. And we're the sons and daughters and we're rightful heirs to everything that he has, has and owns. So prayer um, is a relationship with a person, but number two, prayer is a reorientation towards God's authority. That's the second thing you could write down. It's a reorientation towards God's authority. Authority. Let's look at the next line, the next verse, verse 10. It says, your kingdom come, underline that word. Your will be done, underline that phrase, on earth as it is in heaven. And again, just to kind of keep things moving, I want to make a clear distinction and understand what we're talking about here. Kingdom is not a place. That word actually means dominion. It means sovereignty. It means authority. We often think of like earth as a place, this place. And again, I could go everywhere with this. I got to keep it short. And we think of heaven as another completely distinct place. And there's the guy from the Bible Project, I think is Tim Mackey, that's his name, and you can look this up later. He would say, you know, kind of the narrative that we think and we understand, and I know, I, I, lived, I grew up in church my whole life, and it's true. You think of, okay, God sent his son to this place, and ultimately when we die, we'll go to this place. But he says, that's not the picture in scripture. Maybe we should look at it more as an overlapping, that God's kingdom and earth's kingdom. Man wants to go his own way and God wants to do his thing. And so really the Lord's prayer is God's kingdom coming to earth. And I love that. It helps me. And I hope it helps all of you. But when we pray prayers asking God, first of all, we acknowledge your kingdom, that you're going to have your way in the earth, and in our hearts, and in our lives. 
And when we, when we pray, your will be done, here's the thing, and this is super important, we are reorienting all of our life around what he wants to do. Prayer is a reorientation. In other words, we're speaking into the cultural narrative of I am not in charge. I am not my own moral authority. I am not the one who has ultimate rule and control of my life. No, creator, Abba, God is. And we need to, every time we come to pray, we are saying that. We are reorienting towards him. Does that make sense? Now, there is a misconception about prayer. Uh, I used to work for a vending company, so I know this really well. I loved that job, by the way. One of the best jobs I've ever had, other than here, of course. Uh, my job was to fill the vending machine. We put the right thing in the right slot, and then you go and you take your money and you put it in the machine, and the thing comes out, right? We tell it, we push the numbers, and that thing comes out. But honestly, honestly that's how some people look at God. He's the great cosmic vending machine where I push the button for my will to be done, my will to be done, and we miss this whole concept of your will be done. Do you understand, what, do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's flipping the entire narrative for our benefit and for our sake. He is not a cosmic vending machine. He's not a cosmic genie where we get the three wishes like that guy in our joke. No, he's the king of the universe who has a plan. And he's saying, are we going to step in line with that plan? And oh, by the way, better yet, when you pray your will be done, maybe you, me, we're opening up our hearts a little bit more to be a part of that plan. In other words, to bring God's kingdom to earth. This is the mind shift when we start talking about prayer that Jesus is bringing us. Because contrary to the narrative... When we try to control our own destiny, we will fail every single time. The Bible says this in Proverbs 14. There's a way that appears right to all of us, to humans, but in the end, it leads to death and destruction. And a couple of verses later, he goes, but the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. And I don't think fear there means let's be afraid of him and what he might do. It's no, no, it's, it's God's kingdom come. When we pray through God's kingdom and God's will, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life and turning a person from the snares of death. So prayer orients us towards the heart of God, towards his kingdom will being done on the earth. All right, I'm going to move on from there. Third thing. Prayer is a reliance on God. If you're taking notes, that's the third thing. It's a relationship. It's a reorientation. And finally, it's a reliance on God. And this is where the turn of the prayer happens. The whole first part, and again, you can get really heady about this stuff, kind of talks about that whole, it's God. And we, we can look at that kind of in relation to uh, the prayer that the, um, the, the Hebrews used to pray, you know, um, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your sight. And then what's the next thing? Love your neighbor as yourself. And that whole first part talks about God, and then it flips and it starts talking about people here. By the way, other side note, 
Not one time in this prayer does he use the word me or mine or I. Every single time it's used in community, it's us, our. And I find that fascinating. You can go and, and uh, do some study and research on that yourself. But he goes in verse 11, give us today our daily bread. You could underline that. Once again, we're changing the narrative here. It is okay. This is a prayer of dependence on God. This is us as human beings acknowledging, God, we need you. We want to depend on you. We trust in you to provide our every single need. Some of you are praying that this week. Some of you lost a paycheck this week. Some of you may have lost a friend this week. And you say, God, I need you for daily provision." I can't control it. We're speaking into the narrative. But you can, and I trust you because I trust that you're sovereign and you're good. Verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And you could highlight or underline that word forgive because that's the big idea in this part. And I'm not going to speak a lot here because I think this is so important that we're actually going to spend an entire sermon on the forgiveness piece. But if you look at Jesus' sermon, now this prayer, by the way, is right in the middle of Jesus' most famous sermon he ever gives. A lot of us know all of the, you know, when people say, oh yeah, he was a great guy, this is kind of things he talked about, it was coming from this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. If you start looking at some of the context before the Lord's Prayer and after, and of course even through, we see it here, Forgiveness is a common theme. And boy, oh boy, if we just got our head and our, maybe more importantly, our hearts around that, it would change God's kingdom here on earth. That is not an overstatement. You say, hey, God is about love. We need to love everybody. That's true. I agree with that 100%. This church tries to live that out. But here's the problem. When someone does something against you, that whole free concept of love, that general concept of love starts to go out the window really quickly. Because our first response is not to love them back. What is it? It's to get even. And some of you and some of us hold on to that our entire lives in some cases. And Jesus is speaking into that narrative. If you can forgive others the way that you have been forgiven, it would literally bring God's kingdom to earth in a way that we have never seen before. Maybe there'd be less wars that are fought. There certainly would be less internal conflict in our homes and with our neighbors and with our children. And so that's all I can say about that because we are going to spend a lot of time. But again, my point is, is you see, Jesus reserved 55 words and six sentences to the thing that he thinks that we need to be about every single day. That's all the Lord's prayer is, 55 words, six sentences. And this was important enough to make it the cut. 
forgive as you have been forgiven. In our final line of this prayer today, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. And I want you to highlight and underline that word from the evil one. He says, if you are in the business as a Christian of bringing heaven to earth, what that really looks like, you have to expect opposition. It's not a cakewalk. We don't have all the answers. People are going to despise you and hate you. They're not going to understand you, which is sometimes worse. And yet he says, that's why you need to come to me every single day and express this idea that, God, I need your deliverance from the opposition that I'm about to face maybe in the next minute as I get off my knees in prayer right now. It's closely tied to that, you know, arming up. We talk about the spiritual armor and girding up and and getting prepared for battle, right? It's that kind of thing. Deliver us, God, because opposition is going to come my way. And so I'm going to wrap this up. And this is my attempt, and maybe it's a feeble attempt at our definition, my working definition of prayer, maybe for the series, but certainly for today. And this is what I think prayer is. And this is why I think it's applicable for every single person, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey. Prayer is just this. It's simply a daily expression of our dependency on God and a reorientation towards him. Prayer is not a certain kind of word. It is about reorienting our lives around the narrative that he provides, the way that he provides. It's an expression of our dependency on God and a reorientation towards him. And if we can do that, When we begin to pray, here's the thing. The way we see ourselves begins to change. Maybe we see ourselves in a proper priority at that point, right? The way we see other people begins to change. The way we see the world and the things that go on begin to change. The way we think about loyalty begins to change. And the way we think about authority begins to change. And this is why I think the Lord's Prayer is speaking counter to the narrative that Jesus knew we would be living with every single day of our lives. And that's why it's important. It's not about the words we say. It's about getting that into our hearts. And by the way, this is a lifelong process. Nothing benefits a Christian more than prayer. Nothing When we pray in this way, nothing benefits a Christian more than prayer. And let me just say this in case I haven't been clear. You can pray anytime, anywhere, any place. I want to make sure I say that right in series number one. It is not beyond you. By the time we're done, I'm hoping maybe you could just even come up with one sentence. In some ways... And actually, this, there's a whole dialogue about this right before Jesus says how to pray because there's a whole bunch of people praying in fancy ways. And he goes, ah, when they can do that and when they can pray well, guess what? They end up getting the reward because people see them and say, ooh, they are the prayer. He goes, you know what I'd rather you do? I'd rather you just go in your closet and pray to me. Hey, God, 
thank you for everything you've done. Thank you for being not only my dad, but king. Help me to orient my life around you so that I think differently, hear differently, talk differently. I know I'm going to mess up. I'm not going to be perfect with that. I know I'm a lifelong project, but God, I need you. And as I close, as I was thinking about this week, I feel like I would be remiss to say one other short thing. So give me five more minutes here, if that. We talked about the Lord's Prayer. And that is super important as we talk about prayer and our model. But it might not be the most important prayer that you ever pray. I want to encourage some of you that maybe you're ready for your first real prayer today. And let's call it a prayer for forgiveness, a prayer of acceptance, a prayer of, repent, of repentance, a, a prayer of handing over control, whatever you want to call it. I'm okay with that. But some of you in this room and watching today have never, like you say, oh, that's well and good. And maybe I understand a little bit more, but I don't know that I even have a relationship with God. I don't even know that, I didn't know that he could like be like my dad. I, I always thought of him as the big, you know, blob in the sky, the sovereign vending machine, the, the great judge of the earth. But he wants a relationship with you. And there's this verse in Romans that says, if you openly declare that Jesus is the Lord, he's the king, we're giving him authority, right? And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Because it's by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and by openly declaring your faith that you are saved for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved saved. And when you receive Jesus into your heart, you are a part of God's kingdom coming to this earth. You have the assurance and the promise of a life forever lived with God in his sovereign rule over the world. The other option is you could ignore it. You could kind of, again, live with the world's narrative and you will find yourself what it says here, in destruction, ultimately. You will live a life separate from God in his perfect control. And that's what we call hell. And so today, maybe you are ready to say, God, I don't get it all. I don't know it all. I think you have a lot more work on me than maybe the person sitting next to me. But I'm telling you, because that guy on the stage is saying, I could actually bring Jesus into my life and into my heart. And I want to give everyone the opportunity to do that right now. And this is how we're going to do it. I know I'm being weird today, but we're going to stand up again, everyone. And for those of you who have said this prayer in the past, we are going to pray. I'm going to put a prayer on the screen. We are all going to pray this out loud. Every single person in this room. Now, if you can't feel like you do that, you know, with a good conscience in your heart, you don't have to, but here's my point. For those of people in this room and online who are ready to pray this prayer of acceptance and repentance and forgiveness, I think it would be great that those of us around you 
would not single you out, but that we would pray it with you. Does that make sense, church? That we're doing this together? So let's pray it. Let's put that on the screen. Let's pray it together, everyone. God, I thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for my sins. I believe in you, and I want a personal relationship with you. I invite you into my heart to wash me from all my sin and to make me a new person. I want to live with you for the rest of my life. Amen. Thank you for doing that. And for those of you who maybe for the first time, that's your prayer, I'll simply ask for one more step at the end of this service or when you go home today, there's going to be a QR code that comes up in a little while when we talk about feedback from our church. And it's called a connect form. And on this spot on that connect form, it says, I'm thinking about following Jesus or I have decided. And if you would just fill that out for us, we would love to follow up with you and get you started on that journey with God. So as we end today, I want to pray over every single, let's bow our heads, close our eyes. God, thank you for this morning. I thank you for this day. I thank you for the instructions you give us. I thank you for the new way, the hope that you brought into the world. God, I pray that that would get a hold of our hearts and influence the way we pray and come to you as both our dad and as the authoritative king of the universe. However we say those words, God, you know, we don't have to say the right words. We just need to come with that heart response. So we thank you. All we can say is thank you. And God, we're going to sing that now.